Well, we're going to continue on in our study in the book of Daniel today. I know you have your Bible with you, so take a look there at the book of Daniel in chapter 2. Book of Daniel and chapter 2. Yesterday, as uh, you all know, was the 20th anniversary of the now infamous 9-11 terror attack. It was a, a, a watershed event, we might say, uh, meaning an event that led to many, many changes in our society, many consequences, many results. Uh, we will never again carry a small suitcase full of toiletry items onto an airplane. Uh, we will never again get on an airplane without having our shoes x-rayed. Uh, we will never again have any sort of an account without, or open any sort of an account without a physical address. The rural gravel roads in Montana all received names and houses all got numbered so everyone can have a physical address in order to comply with all of the regulations in the Patriot Act, uh, which was enacted because of 9-11. And of course, those are just a few of the changes that we all experienced because of something that happened 2,500 miles from here. If you lived in New York City or Washington, D.C., then there were enormously traumatic things that took place, or took actually years to recover from, and will never quite be the same. And also an interesting anniversary today, I mentioned it to the folks in our Bible study hour at 10, that today is, is, the, uh, is our 36th anniversary of our presence here in Hart Butte. We had our very first service in the Senior Citizen Center the, uh, the Sunday after Labor Day back in 1985. That year it was the 8th of September, uh, but today is our 36th anniversary, and Vera's still with us putting up with my preaching for all these years. So she was with us that very first Sunday on September the 8th of, uh, of 1985. So uh, interesting anniversary days for us. But as we think about all of these things, uh, we are reminded that, that nothing stays the same. The days pass into weeks, weeks into months, months into years, years into decades, then centuries, then millennia. Kingdoms rise and fall, rulers come and go, empires gain power, then crumble, people groups have their glory days, then they fade into oblivion and even disappear. Nothing stays the same with just a couple of exceptions. Hebrews 13a says, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. Psalm 90 verse 2 says, Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, even from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. Isaiah 40 verse 8 says, The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Psalm 119.89 says, Forever, O Lord, your word is settled in heaven. And Jesus said in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. 
The one and only true and living God is always the same. From eternity past to eternity future, the character of God never changes. He is who He is. He is who He has always been. He is who He will always be. The true and living God is always the same. God's Word is eternal and supernatural. It will never be destroyed. It will stand forever. So in the midst of an ever-changing world, God and His Word never change. And in this ever-changing temporary world, the only two things that will exist forever are the Word of God and the souls of human beings. And after our bodies die and our souls leave our earthly bodies uh, behind to go back to the dust from which God created us, we will exist forever, either in heaven or hell. So as we deal with all of the changes of life and all the changes in the nations of the world, we need to keep reminding ourselves that everything changes except the character of the true and living God. And nothing in this world will last forever except the word of God and the souls of people. So where should our priorities be? Should we be focused on the temporary stuff? Of course not. Or should we be focused on the things that are eternal? This is our fourth study in the book of Daniel. Daniel has completed his three years of training in what we've called the University of Babylon. He has stood before the king to answer questions. The end of chapter 1, he passed his oral exams with flying colors. He's been now given a position in Nebuchadnezzar's kingdom. Remember from our study in chapter 1 that the Babylonians counted the first full year of a king's reign as his first year, rather than the year that he ascended the throne. So when we read in Daniel 2, in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, that would be equivalent to the year that Daniel and his friends finished their three years of training. And so Daniel now is probably about 20 years old. Give or take a year. We don't know precisely how old he was when he was taken to Babylon, but he was called a youth in chapter 1, which would indicate that his middle to late teen years. So now Daniel is around 20 years old. He's serving in some kind of administrative position in the kingdom. God has blessed him and enabled him and brought him into favor with those in authority over him. And now in this chapter, God gives to Nebuchadnezzar a fascinating dream that gives us an overview of the coming Gentile kingdoms and empires of the world. We're going to divide our study into two parts. We'll first see Nebuchadnezzar's dream, his demand, and his decree. And then we're going to examine Daniel's poise and Daniel's prayer. And next week, Lord willing, we'll finish the chapter and look at the actual dream and its interpretation. But today we want to read the first, uh, about half of the chapter, starting in verse 1, and we'll go to the very beginning of verse 28. Daniel chapter 2. Now in the second year of Nebuchadnezzar's reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams, and his spirit was troubled so that his sleep left him. And the king gave the command to call the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I have had a dream, and my spirit is anxious to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans spoke to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever, tell your servants the dream, and we will give you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, My decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me and the, its interpretation, you shall be cut in pieces and your houses shall be made an ash heap. 
However, if you tell the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. Therefore, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They answered again and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will give its interpretation. The king answered and said, I know for certain that you would gain time, because you see that my decision is firm. If you do not make known the dream to me, there is only one decree for you. For you have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the time has changed. In other words, till his attitude has changed. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can give me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It is a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. For this reason, the king was angry and very furious and gave the command to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. So the decree went out. And they began killing the wise men, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then with counsel and wisdom, Daniel answered Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He answered and said to Arioch, the king's captain, Why is the decree from the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the decision known to Daniel. So Daniel went in and asked the king to give him time, that he might tell the king the interpretation. Then Daniel went to his house and made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret, so that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. And Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are his. And he changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might, and now have made known to me what we asked of you, for you have made known to us the king's demand. Then Daniel went to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Take me before the king, and I will tell the king the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said thus to him, I have found a man of the captives of Judah who will make known to the king the interpretation. I always have to laugh. Arioch had absolutely nothing to do with nothing. <laughs> the king, I found a guy. No, he didn't. Daniel already went to the king and asked him for time. Everybody's always trying to get uh, some, 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 uh, some recognition for something, aren't they? The king answered and said to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream which I have seen in its interpretation? Daniel answered in the presence of the king and said, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. And he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Nebuchadnezzar has conquered the, his entire region of the world. He was at the top. 
He was totally secure in his empire. No neighboring army was on the horizon. There were no military threats. All his enemies were dead or in slavery. He had all the wealth, all the power, all the guards, all the comforts, all the security, all the everything that anyone could have except sleep. He had conquered empires. He was in control of everything around him, but he couldn't sleep. He couldn't conquer his own dreams. So he calls his magicians and astrologers and sorcerers and Chaldeans to help him solve the problem. Just so you understand exactly who those people are. Those Hebrew words there that are translated, the word magician is also translated sometimes soothsayer. It means someone who is able to, or claims to be able to foretell the future. Or an occult priest, somebody who claims to have secret knowledge of the spirit world and understands how to communicate with the spirit world. That's what the word magician means. The word astrologer means one who chants. And those chants are designed to conjure up spirits, to communicate with. One who practices also what we call necromancy, that is the claim to be able to talk with the spirits of the dead. That's what the Hebrew word translated astrologer means. They deal with the stars, they talk to the dead, they do various chants to conjure up spirits. The word sorcerer that's used here is, is one who practices witchcraft or black magic or one who seeks power from the spirit world by mixing various potions and burning various plants to produce different types of smoke to connect with the spirit world in some way. And then the word Chaldean, we would think of them as the university professors, the PhDs, the wise men, the philosophical thinkers and, and, and writers. They were the guys who were at the top of the academic world of science and philosophy. Interestingly, these guys, the Chaldeans, are the ones who've been training Daniel and his friends for the last three years. So Nebuchadnezzar calls these guys to solve his problem. He can't figure out what his dream means. It's driving him crazy. He's in control of everything, but he can't figure out his dream. He's going nuts. He can't sleep. So he demands of these men, tell me my dream and what it means. And they say, why, sure, your majesty, just tell us the dream and we'll interpret it for you. Nebuchadnezzar says, oh, no, 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 no. You guys claim to be brilliant scientists and philosophers? You claim to have connections with the spirit world. You claim you can talk to the spirits of the dead. You claim you have a power with the spirits of the earth and the spirits of the sky. Surely they know what's going on out there. So you just connect with them and then they can tell you what my dream was and what it meant. And I say, oh, my Lord, the king. Nobody's ever asked such a thing before in the history of the world. Nobody knows your dreams but the gods whose dwelling is not with humans. Maybe Nebuchadnezzar's thinking, wait a minute, who are the gods? Aren't they those guys in the spirit world that you guys say you can connect with? No, he says, you tell me the dream, you tell me the interpretation, or I'm going to have you hacked in pieces and your houses burned to the ground because I think you're all a bunch of fakes. He said, you're going to just make up a bunch of nonsense. You're going, to, you're going to be lying to me until I settle down and start sleeping again. And no way, he said, you're going to tell me the dream and you're going to tell me the interpretation and I'm done with you. He said, Captain of the Guard, kill them all and burn down their houses. I thought, wow, he was really sleep deprived, wasn't he? Extremely grumpy. So the process started there in verse 13. He says, so the decree went out and they began killing the wise men. I don't know how many of them they killed, but they, they, they went to find Daniel and his three friends. 
It is interesting to note that Daniel and his three friends were not hanging out with the sorcerers and astrologers and soothsayers. Arioch went to find them, and now here's Daniel, maybe 20 years old, with a group of palace guards standing at his door, ready to hack him in pieces. And what does Daniel do? He stands up in front of Arioch and he says, Hey, wait a minute. Why is the king doing this? Why is this matter so, so urgent coming from the king? And interestingly, Arioch tells him. And I thought as I read this, wow, this God has given Daniel favor in chapter 1 with those who are overseeing his re-education. At the end of chapter 1, God gives him favor with the king. Now God uses Daniel's character and Daniel's poise and Daniel's confidence to give him favor with the palace guard who's supposed to kill him. Quite amazing. Instead of dragging him out and saying, I got orders, Daniel, sorry, come out in the street, I'm going to hack you in pieces. He explains the whole thing to him. Well, actually, this, the king's had a dream and a lot of, he tells him the whole story. And so Daniel says, let me go see the king. And again, quite amazing, Arioch lets him. He's under orders to kill all the wise men. But he stops with Daniel. And Daniel says, let me go see the king. And they say, okay. And, and this, is, this is still an, an, almost an unbelievable thing. The, the king is in this rage. He's ordered all the wise men to be killed. And Daniel goes right into the presence of the king, uninvited and unannounced which was unheard of in that day, and Nebuchadnezzar sees him, sees him coming, and he doesn't say, how come you're still alive? I ordered all you guys to be killed. Daniel walks in, and Nebuchadnezzar lets him talk to him. And Daniel says to Nebuchadnezzar, okay, will you give me some time? I think I can tell you the interpretation of your dream and your dream. And Nebuchadnezzar says, okay, son, go for it. And he lets him go. And Daniel goes back to his house with, with, with his, his three friends, and God answers Daniel's prayer, and he tells him the dream and the interpretation. And there's an interesting thing, and there's an interesting sequence of events there, that when God gives Daniel the dream and the interpretation, he doesn't get up and run right to Nebuchadnezzar. He first of all prays. And thanks God, which we'll be looking at in a second. Thanks God for answering his prayer. Then he goes and he finds Arioch and he says, you can stop killing the wise men. I know the dream. Because based on the tense of the verbs here, I mean, it, it appears that the process of killing all of these soothsayers and, uh, and, and all the Chaldeans and all, it's, it's still been going on. Even though Daniel and his three friends have been temporarily exempted, it seems like the process is still going on. And so he goes, finds Arioch, says, you can stop killing him now. I've got the answer from God. So he goes back to the, back to the king with the dream and the interpretation. And I thought it was kind of amazing also that Daniel was gracious enough to request that they halt the executions. He could have thought, hey man, this is great. We're getting rid of all the sorcerers and conjurers. But no, he, he actually saved them all. Because Daniel understood the mercy of God. In fact, that's exactly what he'd been praying for. Look at verse 18. Then he says he went to his house, made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek mercies from the God of heaven concerning this secret. 
that Daniel and his companions might not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Daniel understood the mercy of God. He'd been praying for the mercy of God. Someone once said that when we pray, it's far more important to pray with a sense of the greatness of God than to pray with a sense of the greatness of the problem. Daniel was certainly faced with a great problem, a life and death situation, but he also understood the greatness of God. And you know, when you look at verse 10 and 11, and verse 27 28, let's read them again, verse, verse 10 and 11. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There's not a man on earth who can tell the king's matter. Therefore, no king, lord, or ruler has ever asked such things of any magician, astrologer, or Chaldean. It's a difficult thing that the king requests, and there is no other who can tell it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with flesh. And then down in verse 27, Daniel answers in the presence of the king and says, The secret which the king has demanded, the wise men, the astrologers, the magicians, and the soothsayers cannot declare to the king. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Puts a chill on me every time. I always picture Daniel standing in front of Nebuchadnezzar saying that. When you look at those verses, 10 and 11 and 27 28, they all remind us that the supposed spirituality, all of the seeking for special knowledge, all of the attempts to contact the spirit world, all of the desires for spiritual power, if it's not connected to the God of heaven, it's empty, fake foolishness. There are only two spiritual power sources in the entire universe. That is God and Satan. Satan only has the power that God allows him to have, but he is very powerful. Only God himself can overrule him. And, and all of the desires that so many people have to contact the spirit world and contact the spirits of the dead and gain power from, 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 from spiritual forces in the universe, if it's not connected to the God of heaven, according to these verses, it's all empty, fake foolishness. And it's fascinating to me that Nebuchadnezzar, who at this time had no connection with Daniel's God, no understanding of the true and living God, he doesn't even believe his own system. He's an animistic, idol-worshipping king, and he calls these guys in who have connection to the spirit world, and he doesn't even believe what they're telling him. He says, you guys are just making it up as you go along. You're just going to lie to me until, until you think I get over the sleeplessness. Now, you tell me my dream, and then I'll know you can tell me the interpretation. Oh, we can't do that, okay? Oh, yeah, well, you're supposed to be connected to the spirit world. How come you can't tell me what I dreamed? Old Ned doesn't even believe his own system. Only God can overrule Satan, and all the only power sources in the entire universe are either God or Satan. So anybody who's trying to connect with anything in the spirit world that, that is not directly related to the God of heaven, it is empty, fake foolishness. Hold your finger here in Daniel 2, if you would, and look back at Deuteronomy chapter 18. Deuteronomy chapter 18. <clears throat> the words of Moses speaking to the children of Israel, just as they're getting ready to go into the land. Deuteronomy 18, we're going to read verses 9 through 14. When you come into the land which the Lord your God is giving you, you shall not learn to follow the abominations of those nations. 
There shall not be found among you anyone who makes his daughter or son or daughter pass through the fire. That was child sacrifice. Or one who practices witchcraft or a soothsayer, or one who interprets omens, or a sorcerer, or one who conjures spells, or a medium, or a spiritist, or one who calls up the dead. For all who do these things are an abomination to the Lord, and because of these abominations the Lord your God drives them out from before you. You shall be blameless before the Lord your God, for those nations which you will dispossess listen to soothsayers and diviners." But as for you, the Lord your God has not appointed such for you. The prophet Isaiah, we won't take the time to read the verse, but in in Isaiah chapter 8, verses 19 and 20, Isaiah said, When they say to you, seek those who are mediums and wizards who whisper and mutter. He said, should not a people seek their God? Should they seek the dead on, on, on behalf of the living? To the law and to the testimony, he says, if they do not speak according to this word, it's because there is no light in them. See, all of these supposed spirituality things where people are chasing spirits and trying to contact them and get power and information and know the future, God says it's all nonsense. It's all empty, fake foolishness. Yes, Satan is powerful. Yes, Satan can deceive. Yes, Satan can do some amazing things as we see all throughout the Scripture. But all power resides in God. And there, there is for any person who claims they know the Lord, they have no business having any connection with anything but the Word of God and, and the God who wrote it. Now back into Daniel chapter 2. I am certain that Daniel understood and knew the spiritual conflict between the forces of the spirit world and the God of heaven. I'm quite confident that Daniel was well aware of the teaching of Deuteronomy. And quite courageously, he tells Nebuchadnezzar, all the sorcerers and astrologers and magicians, they can't tell you what you need to know, O king, but there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Who is this God? Daniel has just told us about the character of God in his beautiful prayer. Look back at the prayer of Daniel there in chapter in, in verse 20, Daniel 2 verse 20. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, for wisdom and might are His. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and understanding to those who have, or knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and secret things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I thank you and praise you, O God of my fathers. You have given me wisdom and might and now have made known to me what we asked of you. For you have made known to us the king's demand. There's seven different statements about the character of God that Daniel gives in this, in this wonderful prayer. He says, wisdom and might are his. He says he changes the times and seasons, meaning God is in control of the circumstances of life. It means he removes kings and he raises up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise. He gives knowledge to those who are seeking understanding. He can reveal secret things. He knows the darkness. Light dwells with him. In other words, he's saying, God, you are wise. You are powerful. You are all-knowing. You are sovereign. And he said, you have given us this secret. Then he thanked God for what he'd done for him, blessing him and answering prayer and saving their lives. You see, Daniel was poised. Daniel was composed during the crisis. 
He was daring. He was courageous when he was faced with potential death. He was confident in prayer before the Lord. And he was humble when God answered his prayer. He didn't go striding into Nebuchadnezzar and say, Hey, Neb, I am better than all your other Chaldeans, even though I'm just 20 years old. That's not what he said. He, he t- totally took the focus off of himself and he put it on God. He said, all those guys can't tell you, but he said, there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. I love that phrase. If you're a Bible highlighter, underliner, mark that. that there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets. Do you know Daniel's God? If you do, are you walking with him? Do you face times of trial and crisis with peace and confidence? Or do you panic and crumble in fear before the spiritual forces of darkness? If you do, you need to understand more of the character of God, His power, His sovereignty, His goodness, His mercy, the promise of His presence. I want to close with a verse in the book of Philippians over in the New Testament. If you'll turn to Philippians chapter 1. Philippians in chapter 1, because the Apostle Paul, in these two little verses, basically identifies with this very attitude that Daniel has been, has been exhibiting. Philippians in chapter 1, he's talking about his, his imprisonment and what God was going to do on his behalf, he trusted. And Philippians chapter 1, I want you to read two verses, verse 20 and verse 21. According to my earnest expectation and hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If you know Jesus Christ as your Savior, and if we understand the character of God, This will be our attitude. The Apostle Paul says, I do not want to be ashamed in anything with all courage. What he means by boldness? With courage. I want Christ to be magnified, be more clearly seen in my body, whether I live or whether I die. Because he said, to live is Christ and to die is gain. So if we know Jesus Christ as our Savior, if we understand the character of God, that will be our attitude to say, may Christ be more clearly seen in me, whether I live or whether I die. For to live is Christ and to die is gain. And as Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar, there is a God in heaven. Let's pray. Lord, forgive us for our weakness. So many times we're gripped by fear and panic when we look around us and we see the troubles and trials of this life and this world. We read something on the news, we hear something that's coming our way, and we just have these feelings of fear that tend to overwhelm us. I pray, Lord, that we will remember there is a God in heaven. And He is a good God and a wise God and a powerful God and a sovereign God. And whatever happens to us, whether we live or whether we die, it's all for the sake of Christ. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. 
So Lord, help us to face the troubles and trials of this life with the poise and the confidence that Daniel had. Understanding the character of God, understanding the nature of eternity, understanding the power of God. And may we, Lord, rest in you and stand firmly on your promises. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.